Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to We Fixed Real Estate. I am Misty McAfee, your wonderful host, and I am here with Fred Glick. Say hi, Fred. Hello, everyone. And Eli Melamed. Say hi, Eli. Hi, Eli. Okay. And we, this is part 744 with Eli. And we've been having a... Wait, I thought it was 746. Okay. We've been having a wonderful time. And we've been going over the agreement of sale. And I'm going to let Fred pick it up here. Could somebody who's in the residential real estate world, who's an attorney, literally rewrite this a lot more friendlier, easier, quicker, cleaner? I'd love to be able to do that and start that as a revolution because it's just so bleh for people. Just the presentation, the wording. You know, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the nature of uh, contracts is that you can draft them to match what we would call in the legal sphere, the meeting of the minds, right? That's, that's what a contract is. It's, it's a meeting of the minds and it's an agreement of the parties plus consideration to make that agreement enforceable. And um, you could, but I think that that's not likely because the car forms, you know, they're kind of the standard for a lot of, a lot of real, real estate professionals. And I think that people are just comfortable with them. I agree. I think they're a little clunky, but I don't think they're bad. I think they just could be simplified. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. about simplifying wherever possible and, and being concise. But when it comes to these sorts of things, there's really, you know, number one is, is trust and people want to know, you know, that they're using a form that, that is trusted. And number two is also, there are a lot of, a lot of boilerplate provisions that the law um, the state of California, at least, re- kind of requires you to throw right. You know? mm-hmm. Feds too, yeah, and feds to an extent too. Okay, so here we go, guys. Uh, Twenty-one remedies for the buyer's breach of contract. So, if you're a buyer and you put a three percent deposit down on a million dollar house and make it subject to inspections and mortgages and all kinds of other stuff. The day after you put the money down, you just decide to, I don't know, leave the country, um, just do nothing or go visit somebody and, and never go ahead with making the application, doing any of the inspections. And basically, you've been you've been bad. You've been very bad. So you have to be punished. And your punishment is what's called the liquidating damages. And you see the in, in section B of 21 of the remedies, you'll see things in capital letters. So in other words, the lawyers are screaming at you and you always sign this. So basically what it amounts to, if you're bad, you're going to lose the 3% and that's it. They're not going to come back at you for anything else. You want to add something to that, Eli? No, that's the short version right there. It's sufficient in my opinion. It's just, you know, it's skin in the game. That's all it really is. It's skin in the game. The buyer is saying, I won't waste your time. And if I waste too much of your time or I make a promise I can't keep, you get a little, you know, you get a little something for your trouble and we, we go our separate ways. Keeps keeps buyers honest. You know, they don't they don't want, you know, if you're a seller, you don't want somebody who's going to show up yeah. and dilly down and mess around and then say, oh, I want to, you know, I want a reduction. I want credit. I want whatever. Um, yeah, just get rid of them. It just it, 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 keeps people. It's funny. In California, what happens is if this happens, the seller keeps all the money. 
not disputed. In Pennsylvania, and it's written into the contracts that the Association of Realtors use, that 50% of it goes to the seller and 50% goes to the agent. Isn't that interesting? So I actually change that. I give it all to the seller. I don't care. That, that's insane. It gives me a competitive edge in Pennsylvania. Anyway, um, so the next part is arbitrations. So uh, and mediation, dispute resolution. This I will let the lawyer explain. And if you can explain it to us, basically, if you have a dispute, you can there's mediation and arbitration of disputes and go. Uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, disputes get resolved one way or the other. The parties uh, come to a resolution privately, which is basically what mediation is. Where you got a neutral third party, you got a mediator who's neutral. They don't take sides. They don't have any, any interest. They're not being paid based on any certain outcome. And what they try to do is they help the parties come to some sort of private agreement to settle a dispute or resolve it. And the alternative to that is well, what we would call, you know, a, 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 an adversarial proceeding where you're you're kind of fighting against each other. In this case, it would be an arbitration. And the difference between arbitration and litigation, for those who don't know, is that uh, litigation is in the courts. And you you file your claim, you file your complaint, and you go through the process based on the court's rules and the California uh, Code of Civil Procedures, you know, and then all the other applicable statutes, if any. Uh, that that come into play. What you need a lawyer for? You don't actually. You should. I know you don't, but you most don't. people. But, but don't. yeah, you know, I wouldn't advise people to go and and file a lawsuit on their own. It's a lot of work, and yeah, quite frankly, if you're going up against an attorney who knows what they're doing, you're really, really going to be at a disadvantage because you're not going to take the time to learn all the different aspects and do all the case studies and the research, but. Uh, in any event, the difference here is that arbitration is privately administered. There's a number of, of arbitration providers. They also usually do mediation. They provide mediation. And these things are usually going to be done by either a retired judge or a uh, an attorney who's been practicing for, at, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of people. There's people who have been practicing for 10 years, you know, people who've been practicing for 40 years, and they all have different prices and they all will typically provide their um, resumes so that you know the parties will agree or attempt to agree on one arbitrator unless they're going for a three arbitrator panel which is sometimes common that's usually in much much bigger commercial disputes for something yeah. like a, a sale of a home or breach of contract well it, yeah. just let's let's keep it at residential what happens what's the first thing do, do you have to go to mediation and then go to arbitration or do you file directly to arbitration? What's the process? Yeah, you do. Uh, you have to do both. You have to do both, except if you look at 22C, there are exclusions from the mediation and arbitration clauses here. So in this agreement, mediation is typically voluntary, uh, as is arbitration, typically. Uh, but when it's written into the contract as an as a... Uh, as a mandatory arbitration or mandatory mediation, um, you won't be able to file a lawsuit. Literally, if you file a lawsuit, the uh, defending party or the opposing party can make a motion with the court to have the entire thing thrown out, if not just stayed, which means paused. They can have it thrown out, say, we're not supposed to be here because we're supposed to arbitrate this. So there's no point to be here. And the court can throw it out. Gotcha. 
And nobody's gonna, no lawyer's going to you know waste the client's money. No, any lawyer who's worth his salt is going to read the contract, right? Before, exactly before uh, before filing the lawsuit on it. And in this particular contract, the parties do agree under Section Twenty Two A uh, to mediate any dispute or claim arising uh, between them out of this agreement. And so that's that's a pre arbitration mediation provision that requires you to attempt in good faith to mediate uh, before you even right. for arbitration. So really and what it's saying is if you guys have a dispute, you're going to have to go the long way. And uh, if you can't get it mediated, and sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't resolve. One party is adamant that they, you know, are not either not liable or that the other side is liable. And, what, you know, it's, what do you think the percentage of deals uh, a year actually go through? I could mediation or arbitration. There's no way of knowing because those are not public numbers. Mediation and arbitration are not public as opposed to going to court, which is a public record, typically on the filed under seal. Um, so but, here's another question. Yeah, so the, this this contract is specifically for buyer versus seller, seller versus buyer. It has nothing to do with if a seller had a complaint against an agent. It be it the selling or the listing agent. I think it does actually. Oh really? Oh, no, it doesn't. You're right. It actually does exclude them. There's, there are, depending on the contract that a seller has with a listing agent, or if a buyer has a a contract with a with a selling agent, which is the buyer's agent, there will buyer broker. Yeah, yeah, the buyer broker agreement that'll that'll typically have its own. Um, its own provisions for alternative dispute resolution. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but I'm willing to bet that they are similar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, probably are. I'll actually check that. Okay, let's keep going what, a little bit. What I, mean, I will say before you got you're going to know it, and you're going to get an attorney. And uh, well, I want I want to add one thing here, just for everybody listening. I'm saying this as an attorney. You don't want to litigate. You don't want to arbitrate. It's really, really not in your best interest more often than not. And the reason I say there's two reasons I say that. Number one is the cost. It costs money. Virtually nobody does these things on contingency. I don't. And I charge several hundred dollars an hour. And I'm worth it, but the the case might not be. The amount of damages or the amount of money at stake might not be worth paying an attorney fifty thousand dollars if you've got a dispute over a Seventy-five thousand uh, dollar deposit. Okay, now, it might okay. be. It might be. I, I just want to be clear here. It might be. But what people should always keep in mind is it's better and it's always easier to have your attorney look over the agreement as it's being negotiated to make sure that you like the terms of the agreement and that it is as favorable to you as possible without obviously alienating the other side. It's much, much cheaper to pay an attorney to help draft the contract and advise on the contract before you get into it rather than to fight over the- That's a really good point. That's yeah. You know, you know that, that really brings me to, to something I want to point out. You're doing exactly in law what we're doing with real estate and mortgage brokerage in that we're only working with people who get it, who understand what we do, so we can take time to do it right. We're not going to waste our time on crazy people and, you know, 
not getting pre-approved, all kinds of stuff like that. And you're the same way. You want to use your time efficiently so you can use it at the highest level for our customers who are really our customers. Yeah, exactly. It's just I want to provide I want to provide value to everybody I work with. And exactly. The worst thing that you can do, in my opinion, as an attorney or as a broker, right? In the same way that a broker wants to get the best possible price, whether up or down for their client, the attorney should want to get the best possible result. And the best possible result doesn't just mean what's written down on the paper in terms of who wins and who loses. It's also, what did you give up to get this? Exactly. You know, if you've got an attorney who's saying, don't worry, we'll fight them until the very end, tooth and nail, they're not looking out for you. And if you've got a broker who's saying, well, you know, I don't know if it's worth counter, you know, a, a counter offer, uh, you get rid of them. Get rid of them. The, the point of this profession is to look out for your client, whether it's as a broker or as an attorney. And yeah. the best thing that you can do is work with people who are willing to say, no, don't do that. It's not worth it. Yeah, I have done that like my whole career. And I've told people, no, don't buy here or don't buy it. You don't qualify for that mortgage. And I've had a couple of people say, look, we didn't listen to you. We went ahead and got it. And we lost the house and should have listened to you. So, you know, I feel bad, but it makes me feel good kind of thing. Because anyway. Let's keep moving on down the contract. Uh, 23 is selection of service providers. Okay, basically the brokers aren't guaranteeing anybody who provides anything. The mortgage person, the title, the escrow, the um, inspectors, et cetera, et cetera. We work with a, an escrow company because they're really good. They get it. They perform. They're nice people pleasure to deal with their fees are reasonable that's a relationship and yeah i mean stuff happens there's nothing we can do about it but um you know you're kind of free to use anybody uh if you go to the website who pays for what.com that's f-o-r who pays for what.com you'll be able to see in each county in california who the buyer or the seller pays what fees. Um, so you'll know if you're buying in a certain county that you're going to be able to select an escrow company and you want to get one, you can get one. Anyway, multiple listing service. Um, basically, this is saying that the multiple listing service can be changed to a pending sale, uh, close of escrow. You can put all the information about it, authorize, blah, 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 by the terms of approved by the MLS. So basically the MLS will say whatever they want. Ah, you can take 25, Eli, attorney's fees. Well, I think you just summed it up. Uh, <laughs> okay, never mind. Let's do 20. The, the attorney's fees provision. <laughs> the attorney's fees provision in a contract, it, well, depending on how it's written, it entitles one or both parties to recover their attorney's fees if there is uh, a dispute that arises out of the agreement. If there's a, you know, action here, the language here is that in, in the action proceeding or arbitration between buyer and seller arising out of the agreement, the prevailing buyer or seller shall be entitled to reasonable attorney's fees and costs from the non-prevailing buyer or seller, except as provided in paragraph 22A. Now, before I explain what all that means, paragraph 22A is the uh, compulsory mediation provision, which essentially states that, um, the uh, mediation provision applies whether or not 
people want to go to arbitration and uh, anybody who does not attempt uh, or does not agree to mediate um, before you know trying to file a claim or, or go to you know litigation or go to arbitration is not going to be entitled um, to get their fees and that's a big deal because again attorneys fees add up and in the American system each party pays their own fees so the attorney's fee provision in a contract is important because other unless attorney's fees are authorized by law which they are not in contracts uh, you have to have it written in there. And so this is the sort of thing that, again, it, it kind of makes going to war a little riskier because if you go to war and you're wrong and you lose, uh, whether you're the buyer or the seller, you could be hit with a motion to motion to award attorney's fees. And depending on who the other side hired and how much work they did to get the result they, they got, you know, there's a possibility you're looking at an additional several thousand dollars of liability. Again, another reason to limit your arbitration and litigation as much as possible. It's just really, really a last resort, and it's a calculation, and this is part of that calculation. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, the next one is a very interesting one that actually makes me think that if you can do it, somebody should build an app. Assignment. It, it says it pretty clearly that uh, you shall not assign all or any part of interest in this agreement without first having obtained the separate written consent of the seller to a specific assignee. Such consent shall not be unreasonably withheld. Okay. The housing market is Looney Tunes. Now, it, 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 it's starting to remind me of... Um, well, I can't really go that way. But here's what's happening. I had a client of mine who settled six months ago, and he was looking for a year, year and a half It was in San Diego. And it was crazy. And, you know, but it's gotten to a fevered pitch because of COVID that there's a gazillion times the number of people. And it's just getting crazier and crazier. But I could see a time where you get under agreement with a 30-day close on something at, <clears throat> let's use a million dollars, and you put it on a brokerage site. Okay, I, I'm willing to assign this. How much do you want to pay? And you go to the seller. You say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to flip this up because you're locked in with me. I'll pay you the money, but I want to just assign it, and I'll give you 25% of what I get of the above. And any seller will say, sure. Why not? It's a business. I don't, I don't have the knowledge to do it. Anybody want to partner with me, let me know. Simon of the contract. It's going to be the next big thing. What do you think, guys? Uh, no, I think uh, I'm going to go out here and just say no. <laughs> if I'm a seller, I don't want anybody assigning a contract because um, I want the, my buyer who I agreed with to come in and, and, and close the deal. The last thing I want is for them to make money off of a deal that might not close. Not interested. I want to make money. I don't want them to make money. We, of course, can have provisions. It has to be all cash or something no, like that. I, I'm just, I, again, I'm putting on my seller hat here. If I'm a seller of real estate and somebody ties up my asset and I can't sell it to anybody else, 
and that person is going to now take the right to purchase my agreement and sell it to someone else at a profit, uh, I want 100% of that fee. I don't want 25%. Well, like, you know what? Here's the thing, and here's the argument. Open door. Open door buys your house cheaper than what it's really worth. Come on. Well, that's, and that's how they make money. Image of ignorance. So that's not the same kind of thing. No, you, you, really. you're just but you're, you got a little bit of the upside you never would have had because I could have closed on the property and then reselled it. But you know what I mean. I, I know what you mean, but I'm just speaking from the position of somebody who has sure. seen this. You know, this happens a lot in commercial transactions, and maybe not as much in residential because people intend to live in them themselves. So there's not really anyone to assign it to. Right, right. You see this. See that ties into the other thing about the um, land leases that I've been talking about. That's a different conversation. Yeah, that's so, a conversation, and, and that's and everybody listening is now super confused. Yeah, I know. But I'll uh, I will vouch. I will I vouch do, for I them. Do a podcast on the land lease. We'll do that. We'll do that. But yeah. just in the short, you know, in the short term, for the time being, I'll just explain again that I, I think the reason that these provisions are here, right? The assignment, the, the, the provision prohibiting assignment without the consent of the, uh, of the other party, which is again, it's going to be buyer really. Um, the provision is there because number one, the seller has entered into a contract with this specific person. This person has qualified. This person has committed. This person has put their money up. This person has skin in the game. And if someone else comes around and says, I'm going to take over here, the buyer, the seller might be saying, number one, well, I don't know you. I didn't choose you. And number two, there's a possibility that this deal has gone up in value. And if the seller is saying, no, just terminate, just cancel, get out of the deal and go your, go your own way. I don't want to deal with this guy. I don't want you to profit off of my, yep. my I got this, this assignment. I'm a seller. I'm yeah, a seller. I mean- it may be a something. Who knows? All right, twenty-seven equal opportunity, equal housing opportunity. I'm sorry. It's like the don't be stupid provision, discrimination. I mean, hello. We're moving on. If 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 you if you ever think about it, just go away. Don't don't come near me. Anyway, twenty-eight terms. And conditions of offer. And I've always read this one, Eli, it's just kind of being somewhat redundant of other things we've already done. And then you start throwing in the stuff about brokers. And it's a weird, weird, weirdly written thing. I mean, what's weird about it? I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of gobbledygook. It's just putting a lot together. No, it's really just summing up the whole agreement. It's it's yeah. and this is this is just a boilerplate provision that just says that this is an offer. This offer is what's written here. It's not somewhere else. There's nothing else that's you know going on here. But there's also this provision here that states that the seller has the right to continue to offer the property for sale and to accept any other offer at any time prior to notification of acceptance. That's the main clause here. Is that just submitting this offer to a buy, to a seller does not obligate the seller in any respect. And so because there is a, a you know, there's an expiration if you look down at 31. So if this, yeah, we'll get to that. If this thing is, is submitted, there's usually about three days, sometimes longer before it uh, kind of expires on its own terms. Yeah. You know, you know what, let's jump to that because then there's the big question. So 
We're going to jump down to number 31. Everybody go down, expiration of the offer. So the boilerplate is that it would the offer would expire at 5 p.m. on the third day after the offer is signed by the buyer. You you can figure the math out. But in case you, you know, I'm, depending on the situation, I, you know, if I do it early in the morning, I give them to five at night, let's say. So I put in by 5 p.m. on the exact date that I want it. So now, here's what happens. So if I put something in at five, that expires at 5 p.m. and it's six o'clock, and the, the seller comes back and says, okay, I'll take your deal. But what they do is they do it on one of these uh, forms that's the response to your agreement that you sent over because they want some other terms and conditions. So everybody in the real estate industry tells me that even if it's after the expiration, that particular form wakes up the agreement of sale that you originally submitted. Can you talk to that? Can you say that one more time? You you broke up. You said something about sale. Sorry, we're going to have to. Okay. This. Here we go again. That last part. So I submitted an agreement and the agreement expires at five o'clock. At six o'clock, I get back from the seller a response that says, okay, we'll take your price, but we want to change some of the terms. So they, they use the form that's used to respond in those cases. Okay. Whatever it's called. Um. Does the the agents around California have said that it's been explained to them that that particular form wakes up the agreement and there is a continuation of that agreement, even though it expired? Is that correct? Well, yeah, because if that if the counter if the counter offer is uh, accepted or even, you know, countered to that essentially acts as a continuation of because that counter offer now takes over for the initial offer so the offer that's being submitted is being submitted subject to or it's being accepted rather subject to the terms of the counter offer okay that's very easy i want everybody to hear that in so, order, sorry. yeah in order to avoid in order to avoid complication you got to jump down to 32 here and 32 states specifically that this acceptance of offer is going to be made by the seller signing below. And then there's a box there that clearly states seller's exception, seller's acceptance is subject to attached counteroffer. So what the seller is doing when they want to counter is they're saying, okay, I accept this, but only on the terms that I'm going to adjust in my counter. So then they submit the counter and then the proper ways for the, you know the proper response to that if the if the buyer wants to now counter is to accept the counter offer subject to the next counter offer and all and what i do is i do a brand new agreement at that point some people will do that some people will not yeah. what I, I do that of course because you know what it's easier for a mortgage company to look at the agreement of sale and not have as many addendums that's a really that makes your mortgage go smoother it's a little thing like that can make a big difference sometimes. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I mean, this it's, you know addendum. I didn't know the price was that. It's probably also a lot more helpful uh, when it comes to interpreting the agreement. Yeah, you know, one of the yeah. things you don't want is trying to. You don't want to have to try to figure out what you know what provision is at, is is effective and what isn't. That that's a you know 
that's a major issue. If you ask me, it's the sort of thing that requires you to, uh, you know, now start paying attorneys for no reason because this the way this is written is counter offer this, counter offer that, and it's just yeah, clear. it gets sloppy. It gets yeah, it gets a little confusing. Uh, yeah. Hey, just just going back, you know what? We're going to skip definitions. Everybody can read those once they see the agreement, so it's no big deal. So we're down to 32, and, you know, we talked about the form. And then there's this big thing about real estate brokers, about who's who and what's what with them. And then there's a section where it says escrow holder acknowledgement. This is the escrow company fills it in when they get the money from the buyer for the deposit and they send it back to us. So keep just going down. There's an attachment called the buyer's inspection advisory basically talks about inspections and get them and why you should. And that stuff, the California consumer privacy act advisory, blah, blah, blah is right below. It's one of those forms. And I think we're finally done. Any final words for the agreement? Yeah. uh, My final words to the people listening is don't be, uh, don't be intimidated. Uh, There's a lot of type. There's a lot of language, uh, but a lot of it is boilerplate. A lot of it is not necessarily going to be um, harmful. Some stuff, you know, depending on the property you're buying, depending on your specific situations, uh, you might want to change some things. You might want to add some things. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be to your benefit, depending on what you're trying to do to talk to your broker. Um, again, you can also talk to an attorney. Uh, th- these are the sorts of things that are big decisions. They're not intended to be made on a whim. And anybody who's, you know, wanting to buy a house, I mean, you're committing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to this. So, you really got to be patient and you got to be um, methodical. You know, th- this is the sort of thing that from, from everything, from from the contract at the beginning, all the way through the due diligence, you know, looking at title, inspections, making sure you have your mortgage lined up so that you don't have any issues with financing, uh, all the way through to closing, making sure you don't miss any closing dates, making sure you sign all your documents, making sure you get everything notarized and submitted on time. If you're not doing an in-person closing, um, you know each each of these things matters. Making sure you check your settlement statement, and I don't I don't know if Freddie want to, you know, do a whole pod- podcast. Oh yeah, we do a whole thing about settlement statement. You know, I, I have what's going through my mind now is wait, we could do one on this one, this one, this one, because if you're buying in San Francisco, San Francisco has its own agreement of sale. I'll do a podcast eventually on that one, and there's actually in the Silicon Valley. Uh, some of these agents use this peninsula agreement, which is not available to be able to be filled in. It's just a PDF that people pass around. I swear to God, Silicon Valley. Um, and then, of course, we operate in Washington State. They have a very interesting one, and I'll do one on that. Uh, and Pennsylvania, which is it's so simple. It's just so simple. And it's works. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into them and uh, we'll be in Texas soon. So we will do a Texas one. We- and this is a perfect time for an Arriva commercial. Oh, let's go. Let's just talk about the stuff we're going to do. It's awesome. 
Oops. Well, I'd just like to make sure that everybody checks out Ariva.com and you can find out when you're looking at a home, how much will your rebate be? And so, Fred, I think you just added up the numbers. How much rebates did? Yeah, yeah. Last year, I, there, there's kind of two rows of this. What we actually rebated after closing to people last year was $660,000. That's all. That's all. Oh, no, no. But there's more because when we did some cash deals, we'd lowered the sale prices um, by the rebate. Or I just had some deals where the rebate was eaten up in the offer. So, you know, we just got paid direct. So, yeah, it's a really great way if you're like closing on a home and you want to throw in some more money, you get to use this rebate any way that you like. Um, Rebate. Yes. And also, I want to give Eli a chance to tell us where everybody can reach you. And um, you can all obviously see what a skilled lawyer you would have with Eli on your side. Uh, I'll have you guys put my info up on the uh, where the yes. podcast info is. I, I, uh, I'm actually transitioning from phone number to phone number right now. I'm getting out of one. So I will uh, put my most updated information. It's kind of a hassle. I hate to do it, but um, I've got to switch providers, so I will. Uh, Can you take your number with you? No, I, I had an office line that I, I got rid of. I uh, yeah yeah I had an office line that I got rid of. So now I'm trying to get the word out using the new number, and uh, hopefully there is going to be a, a new firm incorporated soon. It's just great. It's a well, yes, we will have your Santa Monica, and you'll find him. We will have your information and email and everything up. Yeah, we'll we'll hook you up with Drew, too. Remind me of that. Thank you so much. Is there anything else to add? Oh, you want to talk about where we're going? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Well, first of all, we're definitely going to Texas. Nothing could go wrong there. Nothing. Absolutely. So... Uh, we have a guy who's going to be our broker, and uh, we're going to be Dallas and Austin, I guess, our two places, start out. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing. Yeah, Ted, uh, Fred is a very big Cowboys fan. So we've got that going for us, which is nice. No, 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 no. Oh, I didn't <laughs> tell you that. This will be good to do this live to you, Misty. Ted, who's going to be our broker. Is a former um, uh, football coach, college football coach, assistant coach somewhere. And he hates more than anything the Dallas Cowboys. All right. It's a, that's a whole nother podcast. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah. But we only have one quarterback now. We're not going to know what to do. There's no controversy in Philadelphia. With, there's only one quarterback. Oh, my God. You kids these days. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to We Fix Real Estate. And we look forward to hearing from you all soon. I still have hats to give out. If you hit up Fred, Fred, do you know your Twitter? Oh, yeah. And I have T-shirts. Yes. Hats, T-shirts. Eli, we have to send you some merch, some swag. Yeah, send me the swag. I'll always, I rep it. Oh, we have some, we have some upcoming swag that we're not going to announce now, but it's, it's, Super awesome. Super awesome swag coming. All right. Well, thanks so much. Y'all have a good one. Cheers. I guess.